0: Welcome to Destination Linux. This is a podcast made up of four of the greatest minds ever to discuss our passion for Linux. My name is Noah, and with me are the three overlords of the file system ZFS mastery. The first up is Michael. Hey, welcome to the program, fellow ButterFS hater. How are you doing?
1: Uh, don't put me in that position. Oh, <laughs> I, I don't have a preference either way, but I'm
2: doing good. How about you? I'm good, Ryan.
1: How's I'm doing your ZFS awesome. Tool going?
2: Oh, my ButterFS was working perfectly. I can roll it back anytime I want.
0: And uh, Zeb is on holiday this week, so uh, we won't go about the process of asking him how he is. But, Michael, I guess tell me what you've been up to in the land of Linux this week.
1: Well, I've been doing a lot of stuff as far as, like, uh, building. I actually released a new video on oh the gosh. Tux Digital. I know, right?
0: Just right. the one from two years ago that you were planning on doing that finally got around to? Or? No,
1: it was, like, six months ago, but still. Oh. Oh, okay. It's nice. better than you thought. Still not that yeah. great. But it's uh, it it, It's happening. I'm doing more things. And mm-hmm. also, I we're actually going to test a new audio. So with the Destination Linux podcast, let us know what you think about this. the, the difference of the audio of this one. Hopefully, the recordings are properly uh, going to work. Uh, so maybe the audio isn't new, and I'll make an edit and let you know in the video version if it's new or not. And right. uh, you know, just let us know how how it works. I think it's going to be working great, and I hope it does. So there you go. What was your new video on? Oh, it was a it was a pronunciation of how to say Sousa.
2: Nice. How do you say Sousa? <laughs> <laughs> oh wait, I'll go watch the video. My bad. Exactly. You need to go to the video. But it's
1: also <laughs> the, to be clear the the my videos my series about how to pronounce is not just the pronunciation of the show or what the pronunciation of the project it's also a a brief history and like an origin of those things as well so like i talked about when sosa was created as a company where what the acronym originally meant and when they dropped calling using an acronym and just made it a brand and that kind of thing so and also like every time i do an an episode on that series it's like a brief history on top of the origin or the actual pronunciation so it's it's not just a five second pronunciation video
0: if people want to view that video and, and check it out, where can they go?
1: Uh, TuxDigital.com slash YouTube or just TuxDigital.com because it's posted there too.
0: Sweet. Ryan, what exciting things have you gotten yourself into this week?
2: Well, I was mostly gone to or uh, gone away at, in Florida this week Shoot. on a business trip.
0: Did you clear that with me?
2: No, I didn't. You should have come along. Uh, we had a really good time with uh, the team there and did a lot of code a thons with my local team Oops. and projects and things like that. But I think the most exciting thing for you would be this phone right here, because you have yes. talked in the past about Blackberries and asking whether they are actually more secure right. uh, as they claim than yeah. your standard Android device. So w- I think we all fall along the lines just to be clear that you know a lineage OS or an E or something like that is going to be in in the current state of things, your most secure option if you could root your device and do that type of uh, setup, but not all devices support that, and some people want something that uh, is a little more newer in the hardware side. So in any case, um, I've been trying out this BlackBerry with the DTech. and Dtech is basically their overlay on top of the Android store, the Google system of things, to create a better security platform for app permissions, security levels, encryption, by default, across the device, uh, factory reset, and remote management of the device. One of the cool things is one of the weaknesses I've always felt when you compare Android to iOS specifically is app permissions. While Android has gotten better, iOS has always had a more in-depth permission system in, in the fact that even if you turn off certain permissions, they won't allow an app not to run if you turn off those permissions. Now, sometimes the app won't work because if you have a camera and you don't give it camera permissions, well, it's just still gonna open the app, but you won't see anything. Um, But Apple allows that, whereas a lot of times in Android, if you turn off any of the permissions it requests, the whole app won't work and the designers make it that way. This allows you that kind of Apple iOS experience within this tool. You have fine-tuned controls of what every application is doing, how much data it's sending and where that data is going and what permissions it's used and when it's used those permissions, which is fascinating because all the things people wanna see, like if I'm leaving my phone idle, is Google still pinging back to its servers and how much data is it sending and how many times is it ping back is actually all captured within the DTEC system. So, And then you also have fine-tuned controls to turn that stuff off to keep it from doing that. So I'm really impressed with it so far. I need to spend some more time with it but interesting, I would say BlackBerry's claim of being one of the most secure devices is certainly holding true when I've compared it to anything like the Samsung S8s and others that I've had before this phone. So I'm very interested to continue using it. And it has a physical keyboard, which That's- is amazing to have back.
0: So here's, uh, here's the first thing that comes to mind. I'm wondering, do you, uh, do you sit up at night with like a notepad and you document? like all of the ways that you're going to excuse apple and iphones or does it come naturally to you like on the fly
2: well what i like to do first is say Uh you know ryan we need to get the message out there that every os is secure perfectly private and amazing and that's what i i go out to do i write it in simple note and i repeat it to myself in a mirror and then go and, and, and preach it out here on destination linux That's good.
0: That's good. That's a good way to get in the the groove. I like that.
1: I prefer to use Google Keep. That way you have everything in the Google Cloud, of course. You need everything in the Google Cloud. Another
0: great option as well. The Drive client works very well for Linux. (laughs) Hey, Michael, what do we have coming up
1: in email this week? So in this week, we actually have a couple emails. We got two short emails. Uh, But first of all, we got an email asking us to shout out a Linux Fest that's happening in Kansas. So the the email says, uh, I was hoping your next show, you might briefly mention Kansas Linux Fest. It's happening on August 9th and 11th on the Wichita State University campus. You can go to kansaslinuxfest.org to find out more. And also, if you're in the area, you can you know you can it's a free uh, it's a free conference. So if you just go to it, you can just you know walk in. There's no general admission fee or anything like that. So that's uh, that's awesome. And I'm you know uh, uh, as many fests if you have a fest, if you are anywhere, in, like I don't know if it's like wherever it is, it doesn't matter. Just as long as it's a Linux fest, uh, let us know. We'll try to shout it out on the show. Uh, Make sure to include the
0: mandatory donation to at kernel Linux on PayPal uh, of fifteen hundred dollars.
1: Right, wow. PayPal dot me to,
2: slash you to show up. You're no, like that's a
0: Kardashian? Get, no, that's an extra 2500 No, it's it's 1500 is the uh, is the fee for us to read it on the air. You didn't know? Oh,
2: gotcha. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. The second email we received is, uh, is from a younger listener, which is really cool. And he says, uh, I'm a big fan of yours, and I believe one of the few Linux enthusiasts who's only a preteen. And I use Pure Arch and DDE, I think that means Deepende, I'm not sure, uh, on a modded Dell Inspiron laptop. I installed Arch myself. I'm very passionate mm-hmm. about Linux and its community. Uh my which my siblings don't understand. I just wanted to say, "Hey, love your podcast and it's not just adults who listen and you or you love and use Linux." And that is awesome. Like cuz I have had I've had conversations with uh, people who use Linux, but I've never talked to someone who's like, you know, 12 or younger about it who's passionate about it. So that's awesome to see. Actually,
2: we have cuz when we went to um, Linux Fest there were a couple of kids who wanted to meet Noah, which I was yeah, like, I some of them off. please don't do that. Please don't go meet Noah. But then they wanted to meet, uh, some of them wanted to meet yeah. us. Most of them wanted to meet Noah, but some of them wanted to meet us. I don't and think I was, was around cool. that, actually, unfortunately. I think I was working oh, on yeah, my talk that took me
1: forever to do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you are not around against your will. Well, they wanted yeah. to meet. Me. And uh, no, um, but they, they did. And Noah, you, you lie. You're trying, you're trying to play a character here because as soon as those kids came up to you, you were so passionate about, tell me how you use Linux. What do you use about Linux? Like Noah becomes super animated, which the kids loved. And it's awesome to see how many parents are getting their kids into Linux at a young age.
1: Oh yeah, that's definitely awesome. And I, unfortunately I wasn't there because I did not have my talks prepared beforehand. And right that's what you're doing yeah that's shocking so, michael we're we're all shocked next here. year i'm gonna but, be
2: prepared i thank you to grayson for writing into us and i love that you use arch as well so you went for the full linux experience there deep into that's the awesome. linux experience let me rephrase <laughs> that and uh i think that's awesome deep in to the linux deep experience. in oh look at that i got a pun in yeah yeah <laughs> So we want to hear from you, our listeners. Send in your favorite software or tip and trick of the week. We'd love to know what tools make your Linux experience amazing. Is there perhaps a specific Linux topic you would like us to try and cover? We would love to hear from you. Send your email to comments at destinationlinux.org.
0: This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now, DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with their intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, everything you could want out of a VPS provider, and then some they're going to give it to you to try for free for a couple of months. Now, you can get this plus access to their world-class customer support for as low as 5 bucks per month. As Ryan would say, that's darn near free. Or you could use their flexible pricing structure as low as 0.7 cents per hour. That is what we call darn near free. It's actually a fraction of darn near free. DigitalOcean has 2000 cloud agnostic tutorials to help you stay up to date with the latest open source software, language and frameworks. That means that everything you learn on DigitalOcean, hey, it applies everywhere because they're invested yep. in the community. It's not specific to their service. So you can get started on DigitalOcean, you can get one month for free with a $50 credit. Now they don't do this for anybody else for the one free month credit by going to slash dl. That's do.co. Slash dL again, you can get started on DigitalOcean with that $50 credit by going to do.co/ dl using that URL let them know that you heard about it here on Destination Linux and a huge thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux
2: you. Yeah. All right, so up first in the news is something that, Noah, I think you're going to be really interested in because I know you have mentioned multiple times your interest into getting into VR and building a machine specifically for VR.
0: Literally so, have the parts sitting right over there.
2: That's awesome. So the Linux desktop is has gone VR, which this is incredible. So virtual reality is not just for gamers. A lot of people think this is just a gaming thing. We know not everybody's into gaming but many are actually dreaming of bringing full immersion of VR to their desktop workflow. We've seen this in science fiction movies in the past and generally when you see it there, eventually sometime in the future, some iteration similar will appear and this is kind of the first iteration of this. So Linux isn't going to be a late adopter in this field. Thanks again to Valve, uh, who is backing XR Desktop, which is making this idea of a virtual Linux desktop a reality. So Collabora's XR desktop is bringing full support for GNOME and KDE environments. And it's just, to me, if you look at some of the videos out there, the future of this just looks absolutely gorgeous. So this supports both the HTC Vive and the new Valve Index. Users will be, be able to grab, push, pull, scale, and pin Windows. So this is not like the iterations that you see in Microsoft Windows, who also has a VR desktop. The way that one works is when you get into the VR mode, you're like in a room and there is a literal monitor, virtual monitor screen there, and you interact with it from that. The way this one works is when you get into the environment, you see your desktop and you can grab Windows and push them, move them around, open applications you see the full desktop, not a virtual computer desk or a virtual monitor. Yeah, that which seems is way
1: basically. more interesting than just seeing a virtual monitor. <laughs> that is exact same experience, but you're virtually experiencing that exact same experience.
2: Yeah, okay. exactly. And this is a community effort all the way, like most things within Linux. You've got Vulkan, Calabra uh, in there. You have the Linux kernel development team who are working on building this support in And, you know, of course, you have Valve providing funding to support this. And if you think about it, there's not a whole lot of uh, gain for Valve other than their push for Linux to have this because this isn't a gaming thing. This isn't something you go out and buy. Um, I guess the push is because Valve has wanted to get into, wanted Linux to take off so bad in the past. And uh, I think we have some articles, too, that cover kind of some of the history of Valve and how hard that Gabe Newell and others have tried to push the Linux desktop as kind of the uh, main uh, operating system out there for Steam. But obviously, there's a ton of work coming from a bunch of different communities. The idea of being able to interact with your computer through the virtual world. Noah, I think you've used virtual reality more than any of us. What are your thoughts on this?
0: I think it changes the paradigm of how we look at VR up until now we've had we've looked at vr as basically an entertainment thing and i think what this does is it shifts the paradigm so it's we're no longer talking about entertainment now we're talking about productivity and the nice thing about productivity is it means that it has a wider range of use it also means that there are people with bigger budgets that are going to be able to contribute to projects like this because now you're talking about the lawyer who wants to have a very interactive teleconference uh, meeting with—and I'm just making this up—a fake jury that they've assembled to see how they're going to respond in, in, you know, in a client case, right? And they have the budget to buy twelve of these things and say, "Hey, let's just set the thing up and let's ma- create a VR workspace and send these out to, to to do a mock trial or whatever." Like, you start to get into the the telemedicine applications and stuff with VR. I mean, the 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 ramifications, the implications for this, to me, seem like they're Huge,
2: yeah, absolutely. When you think about science fiction, I think the one that comes to a lot of people's mind is that Minority Report, where yeah, yeah. they're pushing, pulling the screens around. Yeah. And we kind of looked at that and thought, wow, that would be amazing to be able to interact with your machine that way. But earlier, when we were talking about the show, we had all of these new windows. I was talking about tiling again, and imagine being able to push and pull windows with the full view in virtual reality because once you put that immersion in. You, it's like watching a 150 inch screen almost. You no, know? I mean, you can, you can kind of speak to that. Like if you put a movie on or something like that in virtual reality, it encompasses your full range of vision. So imagine how many things you could have up and be working on and moving around at the same time in a VR world. Now, of course, this isn't quite there yet fully they're working on this, but if you look at some of the sh- screenshots, I mean, it it looks pretty close to what we've all imagined what VR could be capable of in a desktop environment. They also and have some videos that are
1: demonstrating how you like grab the windows and move them around and like change in V space and everything. Like it's it's pretty yeah.
2: cool. So I'm pretty excited about this. And Noah, we're going to have to get this hooked up on your computer as soon as you get it ready to see uh, some implementations of it. What's neat is when you hook up your VR, you can also record it through OBS. And while people won't be able to see the full immersion of the VR, they will be able to see what you're seeing. In a, in a one-dimensional or two-dimensional view yeah. and of the pushing, pulling and how you're interacting with the environment. But I think that would be a really cool video to kind of see how you can interact with the Linux desktop. Here's a question
0: for you. Do you think that this will be more inviting to people that ordinarily don't have an interest in VR? Like, let's say somebody said, like, I'm just not a gamer, like not me, but the, uh, somebody else out there saying to themselves, I am not a gamer. I don't have any interest in VR or gaming. Does this change that spectrum at all?
1: I think it would. I think it, because it changes that they could do things that are not necessarily restricted in the sense that they are told this is what it's for. And it allows them to, because it's a desktop, they could essentially do anything with it. And it allows them to, you know, figure out a way to do, like, one of the things I would love for it is to have a a virtual reality uh, editing of a video because i i wouldn't be so limited in how how big the the window or the preview window is and i wouldn't be able to limit how the, the how big the uh, the timeline is because i'm not restricted by the actual physical size of the monitor like that would be awesome. So, and I could like pick and choose, like I can move the timeline out into another position and like it'd be and, like, and I just move my head to control like where I'm looking at. And that that's, sounds like an awesome thing to do in just that one instance. And I think that there'd be a lot of people who, if, if you presented it to them in that way, they would be much more interested in it rather than like, you know, for gaming in general.
2: Well, think about the industries that have adopted this. When you look at surgeries, right? When you're doing surgeries where they're remote locations where uh, the surgeon can actually have a more immersed view into what they're working on uh, versus staring at a monitor screen, a flat monitor screen. You have just so many professions, people who typically may not be interested in gaming, but industries that could be utilizing this to interact uh, differently with their, their profession. So yeah, I think this is going to bring a whole level of new people into the VR experience because it, you know it's expensive. It's not really expensive for what it is, but it's still an expensive cost on top of a computer. So there has to be things, I think, outside of the enthusiasts who would use it for gaming to really capture a wider audience. And that's what this is doing here. And I love that Linux is ahead, at least in the moment, uh, of Windows in, in this regard, because the Windows implementation of it just isn't anywhere near what this current Linux model is. Yeah, and it's and also like
1: that- beta or alpha or whatever.
2: Like, yeah, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you not only have a ton of collaboration from the community, but you have a big entity, Valve, backing it financially to support making it happen. And that always helps to compete against these other um, competitors who have just endless amounts of money to throw at projects out there.
1: So. It also makes it possible for someone to make a custom interface file manager where when you open it, you go, this is a Unix system.
0: I know this. Do do you think yeah. that Valve had to have put their stamp on approval for this to take off? Do you think anybody else could? Like, I was thinking about our discussion last week and, and the, the revelation of the HTC Vive and, and stuff like that? Is that. Does, does Valve kind of have to put their stamp of approval on Linux VR for it to be successful?
2: I don't think so. I, I think that... You know, if you had another big company in there like a IBM, Red Hat situation come in or somebody with deep pockets, they could. But honestly, a lot of things, a lot of industries spin off of things like gaming. Um, mm-hmm. So, I, I, you know, when you look at, for instance, the incredible power of GPUs and things, a lot of people tend to think that all of that is for gamers. But the reality is, there's so many professional applications that have spawned off of that for uh, video rendering, professional video animations, all of that, that also utilize that same power of it. So I, I think that it's a natural fit for Steam because people, the first implementation of VR was really thought about as a gaming experience, at least the first ones that took off or were backed by big companies. So I think Valve was a natural fit for it. I am still fascinated, to be honest with you, that Valve is so vested in the Linux. Now, obviously, yeah. they're not the only ones here. They're just financially backing. You've got an amazing community of Vulcan, Glabra, all these uh, volunteers and everything making the product. But they just seem so involved in the right areas of pushing the Linux desktop forward, where I, I see in the past um, a lot of different companies seem to be pushing for the Linux desktop, but now it almost seems like most of them are just focusing their attention on the cloud. Whereas valve is still here at the desktop space, and they I think they realize there's a lot of money and benefit to them to make the Linux desktop continue to survive and grow, whereas a lot of the other big companies seem to be solely thought sold on the idea that this is a cloud operating system yeah, I mean that's an interesting point, and I think that that
1: valve is one of those companies where you don't necessarily need them to be backing the infrastructure or backing this concept, but the fact that they are is like a monumentally good thing for this particular thing. So like yep. like in terms of like anytime people think that v- Valve is like slowing down in their support of Linux, they always come out with something that's like ridiculously pop as far as like attention and like, no, 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 you think that we're not, we don't care as much. Like for example, when this, the the steam machines didn't take off that people that people were expecting them to or whatever. And people like, well, maybe that's because valve doesn't seem to, you know, and then they release proton. And then now they're releasing like a VR thing that they're working with. And they announced like, this is actually kind of makes sense. Like a week, a few weeks ago or like a couple months ago or something, I forgot when, but a uh, valve announced that they were going to be working on, uh, you know, helping contribute to the development of K And I think this yeah. is kind of like one of those things is how they were doing it is because they were, you know, looking into the future of doing vr on the desktop and this is awesome like there's so many there's so much potential to this and it's it's kind of funny because people were like annoyed that valve is um and a, a, does proprietary software and they are like a proprietary client and all that but at the same time they're doing so much for the desktop and they're doing it in an open source way that i'd you know I, I don't. I don't mind. Like they're they're doing so much. Well, it's a
2: situation it, where I think it, you know Steam's trying to get Linux to take off. They're trying to really push that as a desktop, and even their founder, who is a mega billionaire at this point, has come out with quotes directly stating he wants to push Linux forward. I think at a certain point, we've seen companies do this before. They get so involved in Linux, and then they slowly start adapting towards that open source. Yes. So instead. Of beating them up and saying, oh my gosh, you're not open source. And while they're doing all these donations, while they're pushing this, I think we let the natural order of things happen. We, of course, nicely encourage, hey, I'd love to see Steam go open source. I'd love to see them move away from proprietary, but thank you for everything you're doing right now. And I think the natural progression is Valve will get there. I really do. If they can get the Linux desktop to take off. And I think there there are very few players in the Linux world now, big players that are pushing the Linux desktop heavily. I think, like I said, they're all mostly focused on what they view as the big money maker, which is the cloud. But I think lots of money could be made on the Linux desktop. Oh, yeah. I think a lot of people can be employed by focusing on the Linux desktop nobody's really found the exact formula they need to utilize to do that because you can't just start charging $90 for licensing fees and that type of thing. But obviously you have certain support models, you have certain donation models that you can redo, like we know certain distros are kind of changing the way, hey, if you want these applications, we'll bundle it for you and we'll charge a certain amount. There are ways to make money here that are really untapped and mm-hmm. I think the first you know, big company to really do that is going to have a lot of money coming their way. I mean, when we think about it, your first trillion dollar companies, as I've mentioned before, didn't make their money from just clouds. They made their money initially from the desktop. Money is there to be made for companies. They just need to kind of open their eyes to the possibilities and not just assume, well, people are used to not paying for it in any form or fashion, so they never will. Right. you got to find the right model that fits the community. Exactly. And there's, there's multiple models that work for open source, and there's bound to be
1: something that would work for a desktop approach, too. And I, I, when I was saying the proprietary aspect of Valve, I was trying to, it was actually, uh, admittedly not well said. But what I was trying to say is that Valve is one of those examples of a company that comes into a to the the Linux and open source market, and that didn't. I don't think they had any open source prior to their involvement in Linux, and then all of a sudden they, uh, you know, they come into the the, the community they. Embrace the open source, and they start releasing a ton of stuff for the, the the ecosystem and for the open source approach. So I think they're a perfect example of once you embrace a uh, you embrace the company who wants to be a part of the platform, and then allow them to gradually join the philosophy as well. Then they're bound to do it because they see the benefit of it. And I think Valve is a great example of that. Yep. So we got some interesting news recently about the KDE and GNOME team joining forces at the Linux App Summit, and it's kicking off in Barcelona, Spain. And it's promising to be an incredible opportunity for advancements for both uh, the, both projects in the terms of collaboration for uh, app streams and stuff like that. Uh, so starting on November 12th, KDE and Gnome Des will be working together on cross-project development that will be related to the potentially to benefit the entire Linux ecosystem. We don't really know exactly what is going on as far as like what specifics they're talking about. They have, like there's been some reports saying that they're going to be working on a collaborative desktop, but that's not what's going to happen. The development is more of an app approach. Like they're going to, they haven't really said how that collaboration is going to happen, whether they're going to be like doing API collaboration or something, but there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, Potential for this, and it sounds it sounds awesome. That can you it imagine
2: this. though for a moment thinking about them working on a collaborative desktop? How amazing that would be! I just I know it's not happening. I just love the thought of it. Because, right? Because yeah,
1: having cons- having collaborate having collect collaboration in the sense of like they're consolidating their efforts into a you know a single awesome desktop that would be great because you get you'd get the design uh, benefits from GNOME and the functionality benefits of KDE uh, like that be a huge, Uh, potential. let's just the brain
2: trust there would be outstanding. Like the room would explode with that much brain power in uh, them collaborating on stuff, but I'm just happy that they're collaborating together on some projects here. And they gave some examples there, uh, Michael, some of the projects they'll be working on.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. They said that they'll be working on creating and packaging various different, uh, applications for distributing and stuff, design and usability commercialization and also some community platform and that kind of in a Linux app ecosystem kind of stuff. But, um, what they said, the, the Neil McGovern, who has previously been on the episode of this uh, Destination Linux, uh, you could, he said, uh, based on this, was uh, Linux App Summit represents one of the ma- many steps towards a thriving desktop ecosystem. By partnering with KDE, we show the desire to build the kind of application ecosystem that demonstrates that open source and free software is important. The technology and, op- and organization we build to achieve this is valuable and necessary.
2: Yeah, so I think this is really interesting because there's been some discussions in the community about individuals kind of, you know, saying, oh, Gnome's the best, oh, KDE's the best, or this. And and honestly, as somebody who gets passionate about the projects that I'm using or working on, I'm as guilty as anybody. You know, I love XFCE. It's my favorite desktop. Um, and there are things that certain desktops do that, you know, require... I think some feedback from the community like um, you know, gnome tiling or gnome removing features or KDE being overly complex or XFCE can sometimes look old out of the box depending on who's implementing it uh, on their desktop. I think those are mm-hmm. fair critiques, but that doesn't take away from the fact that uh, I know all of us here are happy that those choices exist. We yeah. know people utilize them. They may not be for us and therefore we'll say, hey, I don't use GNOME or I don't use this desktop environment or this distro. Um, and That doesn't mean the work behind them is not appreciated. Um, so I think there's some truth to the messaging out there like, hey, uh, people stop going out there and saying, oh, this is better than this or trying to do these kind of competitions against the, the different pieces. But there's also some truth to say that if you don't critique anything, if we just like whatever it is, it's great, it's wonderful, flowers and daisies and la la la, that that's equally not as beneficial either. I
0: I would argue it's even worse because it uh, it 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 promotes complacency and it and and it it fundamentally handicaps us from ever solving problems.
2: Yeah. I think there's a lot of sensitivity I see out there in the Linux uh, ecosystem right now from certain uh, development teams and those within certain communities, basically just uh, trying anytime anybody has any critique of anything, trying to minimize that critique or minimize their opinion because who are they? And I think, like you said, Noah, that can be equally as dangerous out there. I think the way we critique things is certainly important, right? There's no reason to start your sentence with, you suck, for instance. Uh, you could start with, hey, I appreciate this, but this is an issue that I have with this desktop environment. Yeah, And I think that type of feedback is very important. Coming from any platform out there, whether it is a podcast, a news site, or a standard user, uh, we have to be open to that. Now, how we communicate is important, but that critiquing is is how we get better. That's how products get better. Yeah. That's how businesses know what to work on next.
1: Absolutely, It also exp- it also can like open horizons as well. Like for example, uh, I'm a fan of KDE, and I've made that very publicly known. But I don't use the workflow that KDE has. Like that's not that my the default workflow of KDE is not what I want. I actually use the GNOME workflow inside of KDE. So, like, by yep. using by using Gnome and experiencing how they structure their workflow, that's the only way for me to have known what it was to be able to implement it in KDE is my my preference. So, like, even though I don't prefer to use Gnome, I do like their workflow a lot. So, like, there's different pieces you can take from one or the other and combine them to make a better experience for your own usage. And there's there, – because there's many different ways of taking that uh, – you know, taking something that's, that you can see, like you, this, might not be good for you. But there's certain pieces of it that you could say that these are good things. So, being you know, critiquing something and saying you don't necessarily like this as your personal preference doesn't mean you don't like it in general. You don't like think that it's worth existing or whatever. There are some like I agree that the overall, um, you know, the debates about whether something should exist or not or whether. Uh, you know people saying that this is terrible because it's not their preference and like that that kind of thing is ridiculous and not helpful but in the sense of like uh, you know this this particular thing has a flaw here it would be great if you could address it this way or here's a possible solution that you might consider that kind that kind of critique is I think not only uh, beneficial I think it's necessary for improving Mm -hmm. on every and all sides because you can improve the the user experience and improve the development experience of making stuff. You know, because a lot of people who are in, uh, I've had conversations in various different projects where I would give a suggestion and then they would respond with, I've never seen this before, even though all of the competitors... Had that exact thing I was suggesting, and I was just trying to get them to do like a, you know, being having a feature that was like was universal and was expected by the users, but the developers didn't know that that was expected, and because they hadn't tried the other things, so they might not be aware of a potential benefit that you could, uh, uh, you know, show them. And I think that that's another benefit. Like being being critical is a good thing as long as you do it respectfully.
2: Right. So, I think one of the other interesting things out of this article is the fact that these developers are not, you know, into this competitive mode that you would typically see, right? There's not this KDE versus GNOME amongst the developers themselves here. Now, this collaboration hasn't happened in a while, so I can't say that holistically. The last time this happened apparently was back in 2009, but you can see they're open to working with each other. And the more that this type of collaboration happens and we bring the developers, across the board together the better i think linux is going to be for it and noah this is something you've mentioned quite a lot that a lot of this fracturing you you've you've argued that the fracturing at this point is actually starting to become harmful to linux so i'm pretty sure you're going to be excited about this i would think
0: yeah i i i I think choice is good when you have a problem with not enough choice i think uh choice is bad when you have too many choices and not enough action being taken on any one of the choices, right?
2: Yeah, you I mean, what you're basically saying is we don't go in depth, we have all these choices that kind of stay on this high level of resolving whatever it is you or whatever problem or whatever software is attempting to do, but nobody, because it's so but split, nobody gets down, down to the details.
0: On where the PDF came from and how it was created, yeah.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: That means there's a lot of projects that have that issue where you could you as as an outsider you see the solution but they like the projects themselves don't want to address it because that's not something that they find interesting so they want to they only want to work on there's a, a few projects for sure that only want to work on the things that they want to work on and if there's a problem that is a user experience problem or whatever but it's not something they're interested in they're just going to ignore it and that's 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 an issue I, that you know does i exist, don't but.
0: necessarily have a problem with that because i think that uh I think developers tend to do their best work when they're working on things they're passionate about. So I don't have necessarily a problem with that. But what I do think is that that we have to be realistic and manage our expectations realistically. If we want to compete in the same level as macOS or Windows, then we have to provide those users with the same resources that they have become accustomed to in macOS and Windows.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, I don't necessarily have a problem with it either. I just think that there needs to be, in those situations, there needs to be at least some kind of third party, not a third party, but like a separate department or whatever of these projects that are like trying to help the guidance of it. And like, hey, whenever you are done with the thing that you want to work on, would you be be willing to spend time working on this that you might not be... You mean project management? Essentially a project management, yes. Because there's a lot, of, a lot of projects that would benefit greatly that would be you know so much better if they just had a little bit of like ex- like if they were willing to accept the guidance of you know not necessarily an outsider but someone who would you know who cares about the project and but is not necessarily a developer who could go in and fix it for them and stuff like cuz there's a lot of projects i've been told to like not necessarily i'm not going to specifically cuz there's been like i can at least count like a dozen that have done this where if you, you suggest a feature to be changed or a setting to be changed, and they'll say, like, "Yeah, you can go do it." And It's not that hard. You can do it. Here's the documentation. I'm not a yeah. developer. I'm not that kind of developer anyway. So like I don't know how to do it. And if you look at the settings and you could like, based on the changes, you could say, "Yeah, that probably would be easier for them to do it, but not necessarily for you to do it." So it creates this weird where they, they're wanting to help you become a part of the contribution but they don't really take into consideration of like the person who is, ha- is wanting to help is not in that position to be able to help that way.
2: Yeah. One of our patrons mentioned it would be amazing if they could tackle the theming between GNOME and KDE. Such interesting opportunities arise between these. I think the biggest mistake oh, yeah, here... Awesome. Is that the greatest desktop environment? Clearly, XFCE is not included in this collaboration. Oh, we're not supposed to do that. Darn. Um, no, but I, I, <laughs> I thought you were a KDE guy. What's wrong right with you? I'm teasing. I love them all. That's the problem. Uh-huh. I like them all. Uh-huh. So, no, this is awesome. I love that they're getting together, and I can't wait to see and bring back to the community what things they were able to accomplish uh, when this summit's over. Yeah.
0: Linux Mint 19.2 beta has been released. And by the time you hear this podcast, the official 19.2 will be out. Features in the latest version include support until 2023. Update Manager now includes info on how long the kernel is to be supported. Switching kernels is even easier with the ability to add multiple kernels and remove multiple kernels through a GUI. Preferences were simplified, so now you can use the newly introduced X app. G settings widgets, logs are now persistent and rotated in slash var slash log slash mint update dot log. And the user interface has a number of improvements, which include a list of of updates that refreshes automatically when the apt cache is being changed. The info dialog updates in real time. A warning is shown if a reboot is required after a kernel update. A warning is shown 90 days before your version of Linux Mint reaches EOL and infobars are shown together with easier uh, easier to dismiss. Overall, I think uh, Linux Mint still remains the distro that people go to to get introduced to Linux. Uh, Whether or not there are better alternatives for people to do that, uh, I I guess, is a function of opinion. But certainly, if you are a Linux Mint fan or if you've ever had any interest in Mint, definitely go check out the latest release because these are some... Very appreciated, much-needed improvements to Linux Mint.
2: Yeah, every once in a while, I will build a computer for, you know, I'll be asked to build a computer for somebody. And usually, I don't like to, I I love building computers, but I don't like to build computers for just anybody because that means I support it for that time and I'm not set up to provide uh, endless computer support. But there have been a couple cases where I've made exceptions. One was interesting because a mother wanted to build a gaming machine for a son who has... Uh, various, um, you know, mental conditions to keep him from focusing uh, totally and some other uh, issues and thought that maybe a computer could help him really engage differently. And uh, so I built a machine for them, very powerful computer, and I put Windows on it because I knew that's what they would be used to. But I also put Linux Mint on it. And this is a few years back. So. Uh, the mother recently. Did you tell
0: them? To, like, do they know? Yes, they-
2: I told them. I said, "I'm going to put this on a drive, and if you want to learn it, this is another thing that your son could dive into." And interestingly enough, um, you know, the the mother came to me recently wanting to do upgrades and things like that, and they wanted to. Somebody had come over and worked on the machine and wiped out the Mint installation, and they wanted it back. Uh, back on the machine. So working with them on that. But Mint, like you said, is such a great introduction to people who've never used Linux. This individual has no resource um, really to go and learn about Linux other than what's on the web and podcasts and things like that. But it's so easy to use and to understand initially coming from a Windows system that this individual is utilizing the Linux Mint install uh, that's in Grub, meaning they're selecting that over Windows when they're when they're going in, and I think that speaks volumes about uh, Linux Mint in itself. Now, some of these updates here, I was personally really interested in specifically because you know I've talked about the Linux kernels being for LTS distros or even Ubuntu's and things where you have six months to a year in between different releases, even their non-LTS versions where you can fall pretty far behind in that six months in some of the hardware enablement capabilities, depending, especially if you're using AMD uh, or even other hardware out there, such as Wacom tablets, Arm 64 support, all of that type of thing. Having the ability to easily move to a different kernel, a lot of people say UKUU. Um, I actually had issues getting UKUU working with Pop-OS entirely. I love that Mint is basically building in their own kernel system here to allow you to move to different kernels as you want. If you want a more stable kernel, you have that option right there in a GUI. You can have multiple kernels, maybe you wanna boot into a LTS kernel most of the time, but you wanna do some testing, maybe even getting involved in kernel development, which requires you to have multiple kernels uh, involved in there, allow you to have multiple kernels to boot into and easily remove and update them all through a GUI, I think is awesome.
1: So this actually reminds me of of a thing that the Linux Mint is one of those uh, distros that i've been critical of the past but in a constructive way that some people have actually said that i'm a hater on linux mint it's like well not at all because there's a lot of things that linux mint does that are awesome so the i think it is i agree ryan it is one of those distributions that is like the go-to distros that you give to someone who's brand new because it provides a lot of benefits for those those brand new users and it might not be the best distro for everyone But in terms of like beginner users, it's a great distribution. I actually gave it to someone who was like 76 or 75, something like that. And it was the first time they ever used Linux. And the the funny thing is, is that their son is also a Linux user and who's a sysadmin for Linux and was trying to explain to them to use Linux and was going like I use I call it the neckbeard approach. (laughs) <laughs> and it's the the one where you're trying to you know give the technical reasons of why someone should use linux and trying to convince them on the technical merits of it when that person doesn't care and i used the, pro- the for that particular person i used a pragmatic approach where it was a uh, approach to say this is why you would why it would benefit you and your workflow and how it would make it easier for you to use your computer so when i told him that way he was like yeah sure let's let's try it so i did a dual boot system And then probably three or four months later, I was like, so how many times have you uh, booted into Windows since uh, I gave you Mint? And he said, (laughs) "Uh, what? I forgot that I could do that. So like there's is it's awesome because Mint gives you that ability to make make it like an easy beginner access. It's it's familiar in the sense of the paradigm. It's it has the the stability of the sense of like it's it's an LTS base, but still gets updates in a lot of ways, including the kernel stuff. Uh, like it has a lot of a lot of benefits, um, but just like everything, nothing's perfect. So it, there's things there's room for improvement. But like, I think I agree that mint is one of those distributions that has a lot
2: of benefits and, and, I'm, and I'm glad it exists. Blender 2.80 has been released and it is awesome. So this new release of Blender has announced the following changes. This is a massive overhaul, I think, looking at the list of things coming out here. And Blender is so important to the Linux ecosystem that seeing this amount of changes, this amount of uh, improvements is just absolutely amazing to see. So first up, totally redesigned user interface, which Blender is an incredibly powerful tool. You can do so many different things with it. But it's interface at times, especially when I think they right clicked by default for everything, which I know they changed later. But things like that have been annoying. Um, Sometimes it's difficult with all the different things you can do from 3D modeling to video editing to switch into different scenes. And they're working on that as well. So now you have application templates for what you're wanting to do. So you can select, hey, I want to edit videos and it's going to change your interface for you for editing videos. I want to do 3D animations. You'll have templates for that. Left-click selection is now default behavior, Uh, new real-time renderer, EV, is in there, cycle improvements, new widgets and toolbars, new grease pencil 2D support, uh, general 3D modeling improvements, 2D animation improvements, sculpting, VFX, and video editing all have seen love in this recent release here. It's just an incredible tool with endless uh, possibilities, and in fact, if you don't like any video editor on Linux, you could use Blender as a full professional I was, video that editing was suite.
0: Literally going to be my next question: Have you ever used it as an actual video editor? Yes,
2: I did. I used to make videos on my channel. There are probably a dozen or so that were done in Blender, and uh, back then, this was when right click was default, and they you kind of had to set up your own template to make it for video editing, mm-hmm. but once you had that set up, it was very smooth and uh, very fast at rendering. And of course, since it's completely open source, you don't have anything where it's locked down where you can only export in this resolution or any tags or anything like that. It's it's extremely powerful, but yeah. I would say that tools that are made specifically for video editing like Lightworks and Kden Live, and those at least back then when I did video editing in Blender were superior because they were focused on that one thing, Yeah. but uh, going into Blender again in 2.8.0, I'm actually excited to try video editing in there again and see what improvements they have. Um, in, in fact, they've added a bunch of VFX effects to their video editing. So it's it's the Swiss army knife for Linux in so many ways of what you can do with it. The learning curve, for me, was pretty steep. I had a book it's on Blender. I did YouTube videos to kind of figure it all out. But it's getting better. That's why they're doing these improvements with the interface to yeah. not just focus on well, everybody now who's a professional in Blender is used to right click, but that makes sense to nobody new coming in. So okay. right clicks your default.
0: So let me ask you this: hindsight being twenty twenty, you've used Lightworks, you've used um, Caden Live. Is Blender still a good tool for doing generic video editing or is it more a function of, at the time, it was one of the only tools that could get us there. Now we've got more tools that are that are more specifically designed to deal with this.
2: I think Blender could very easily become better than Live. Mm-hmm. Um I, I really do. I think all the potentials there, whether they executed on it or not, I, I don't know. I haven't been able to play with 2.8 zero yet here to see all the changes that they made but i will tell you everything there from their video caching system to gpu acceleration uh, hardware enablement capabilities are all there within blender so it actually makes it in some ways a better option um for people to to utilize and because if you learn the interface in blender You could also create your own 3D animation intros and outros and all the possibilities that are in there. If you took the time to learn it, I would say you could actually do more than you could even do in Lightworks. Now, would it be simpler? No, because in Lightworks, I go and I grab a template they already created for me, drag it in there, and it's all kind of done. But if you're somebody who really wants to get involved and have everything customized that you build, taking the time to learn Blender... I think would be a fantastic use of time if somebody's interested in that stuff and you could get the same results, maybe even slightly better than some of the other open source alternatives out there. It's just the learning curve is steep. Whereas Caden live, I can hand to anybody who's ever edited a video ever, and they could probably figure out how to do all the basics, cutting, shrinking, all of that within a few seconds. Blender in the past was not that way. I don't know about this, the changes they've made.
1: I haven't used the 2.80 either. Um, but they have done a significant... Like, the number they chose is weird. Like, they chose the 2.80 from the previous uh, 2.79. But the difference between 2.79 and 2.80 is, like, four years of development and massive differences. And it's just odd that they did that, but because uh, it easily would be, like, a 3.0 or whatever. But there's so many things that is improved in this latest version of Blender. And the interface... Is one of the most important things that people have been asking for for like two decades. Please fix this. And yeah. the right click thing was so weird, and people and there was tutorials about like when you the first like top like t- five things to do when you first start using Blender, change this and go back to like a normal structure of like using the left click like everybody expects it to be, and like there's there's a lot of stuff that is been, is improved it they've made it like a new theming system for like it looks so it looks a lot better it's got better icons like overall they've improved the the layout the user experience the user interface like it's great i haven't used this particular version for video editing yet but the video editing in blender is fantastic it is super powerful you can do almost everything you could think of once you figure out how to use it cuz it's so <laughs> ridiculous Like it's so, it's so specific in every way, like every, every function that you want to do, even if it's a super simple thing or whatever, it is so specific, unique workflow that doesn't matter if you've used, um, if you use any video editor whatsoever before you will have no idea how to start, get started and you will need tutorials and you will need videos to demonstrate things because even when I was using it, there was, I would, I, I would, like run into the weird barriers that i don't know the actual like specific letter key that i'm supposed to hit in order to switch to this this mode that i need to do in order to navigate the way because like in video editing in blender you have like four or five different modes that you your your interaction with the timeline is different depending on what mode you are in and you can't do all modes at the same time you have to switch back and forth but it, as far as power goes It can do basically everything you want it to do. And when you add into the the 3D modeling and the animation stuff, it's a super powerful, awesome application. And the biggest hurdle it's always had is the problem of the learning curve is so steep that people will just abandon it super quickly when they first when they get into it because it's like you gotta spend hours. Previously, I well, don't know about 2.80, you, but you, you used when to When you get have to into hours.
2: Blender for the first time, I just opened 2.80. Unfortunately, like uh, a lot of these distros that are not rolling, the only versions available in Pop! OS is the old 2.79 version. So I went and downloaded Blender through the tar, and you can uh, you know, basically just uh, click on the launcher there and, and play with it. When you first go into Blender, uh, the you still have the 3d animation as your first setup. So it doesn't ask you, Hey, what do you want to do? Which I think they need to change. They need to have it. So do you want a video edit? Do you want a 3d model? Um, because you still just have kind of that triangle there and the camera. But if I go to file new, it has a section. Do you want to do a new video editing file, Mm -hmm. which is new? And I click on that and I'm telling you they have redone this video editing section a ton. The interface looks extremely familiar and easy to use. Uh, compared with prior iterations, they have all the proper scenes and outputs and timeline sequence uh, set up here by default on the interface. And this is very, very impressive um, already from what I'm seeing, the work that they've done here. And I'll go one step further and say this. If you took the time to learn Blender, I think you have more opportunity to find a job related to Utilizing Blender than you would, for instance, finding a job with Caden Live or finding a job that oh, has yeah. any relation to Lightworks. Uh, if you utilize Blender, you have animation studios you could work for, game development studios you could work for, uh, video editing studios you could work for. You have uh, the potential of professional applying what you've learned to a professional job. Far more opportunity, I think, with Blender than you would with any of those applications.
1: Very true. There's also people who are like VFX artists that you specifically just use Blender. And they allow they work on like movies and and all kinds of like commercials and short films and stuff like that. That because that because Blender is so powerful, it allows them to do those types of things in a professional level. And Blender is definitely one of the best. And like I haven't checked it out, but I'm based on your excitement, I'm I'm now super excited to try the video editing of it because if it looks like a real editor and it doesn't have like and it has a, a an expected workflow, I'm I mean it, the potential it has is awesome.
2: Yep, absolutely.
1: So up next in the show is something that I am a big fan of, and that is the latest release of Latte Dock. So Latte Dock is a Cute based doc uh, doc system that is mainly mainly for the KDE Plasma ex- experience, but I'm pretty sure you can use it in other things like uh, LX Cute. Uh, But I use it in Plasma because it allows me to do so many cool things. And the latest release has a lot of cool new features, such as the ability to have a new color painting, so that Latte can paint itself based on the color, the active window's color. So if you have a, uh, you can make it like having the, uh, if you use it in panel form, you can have the. Panel adjust its color based on the application that you are currently using, and it can also has uh, different co- pan- uh, painting systems for the transparency of it. It's really awesome, and there's also new uh, indicators that are available for uh, various different installed effects for like the Latte effects page. There's also uh, multiple layouts, and like, for the available now, like you previously could only had it like by default there was like a regular panel layout, a regular dock layout, and then like a Unity approach where you could kind of like combine these things in a different way. But they're now adding more. Uh, layouts mm. environment uh, improvements, and they're also uh, making it better and more easy to, to choose between the panel, the the panel and the dock um, settings. And then they've redesigned that in order to make it you know, make it more obvious and how it works. They've also improved the badges and improved like bug fixes, documentations, and stuff like that. And Latte Dock is one of my favorite things about using um, Plasma because it has support for all Plasma widgets. So anything you can put in a plasma panel will also work in a in a latte dock, which is it has so much potential and power to because of that flexibility. So well when
2: you set up my machine when you were here, because I, I asked Michael, I said, Hey, I don't really when I install KDE or something, I pretty much just leave it however the the developers left it. I'll do some minor changes and things, but I told you to set up my computer like you would and you use latte doc as your full panel. Mm -hmm. Like you, because of the widget implementation, you can put your application launcher and everything inside of it. And it was really awesome what you did with my machine utilizing a lot of the changes you do really relate back to latte doc and implementing that in a unique way uh, to KDE. So I I absolutely love this. And did I hear, I, I thought there was a conversation earlier with one of our patrons that Latte Doc is pretty much developed by one single person. There are contributors, but it's mostly one person. Yeah, it's amazing what they are able to accomplish with this doc because it is one of the most flexible. Uh, it's very much like KDE. It's it's so in depth. There are so many things that you can do with it. But one of the differences I would say with Latte Doc is its initial settings and setup is very simplified. Anybody could figure out what it is, but mm-hmm. there's so much advanced features hidden within it that allow you to do so much more if you want to with latte doc that just make it absolutely stellar. Yeah. And you can, they've
1: actually improved this release release also improves the way that the settings work. So it makes it more obvious because there's certain things that were worded weirdly and you might not, you'd have to test it to see what it actually meant. And they've actually improved the experience there too. Uh, but Logidoc Dock is is very powerful. By default, it has like a regular general settings approach, and then you can like check the advanced settings options, and you can have like a ton more to control opacity, to control how it interacts with win- when windows touch the border of the dock, or all kinds of stuff. How you, uh, variety of different ways you can change it and m- customize it. But the Logi Docs, I think the Logi the latte Dock itself is great as a dock. It works quite well in that sense. But as as soon as I realized that you could convert it into a panel and then basically use every widget it becomes way more important and it allows you to do so much more to it
0: not only is it more functional but it also makes it look like it belongs right like one of the things that i've really Mm -hmm. struggled with in finding docs that work really well is one that feels like it's actually integrated or was designed by the desktop environment they always feel like a hack on piece of crap and Latte Dock was, I think, the first one that I ever used, where I was like, "Hey, this is actually legitimately awesome." It feels like it was, des- like at least they used it with KDE before they shipped it.
1: Yeah, and it, and it, I totally agree. And it, it fit, it fits so well. But also at the same time, I think it's a better experience in terms of like if you replace the the plasma panels with the Latte Dock, and you put the same stuff in the Latte Dock that you have in that panel it's still even better because you can you can control where things are positioned more easily and not have to worry about like uh, you know dragging a spacer to a certain size to position where you want it you just say here's an expacer fill out whatever space it is and it will just automatically detect where it needs to be so like th- there's a lot of things about the lottie Dock that makes it so much better and also some of the settings in lottie are better and like the intellihide works better in latte doc than it does in the plasma panel itself so like there's a lot of features that i wish the plasma panel people would just you know pull in from latte doc or you know have a collaborative effort to make Lotte doc more reasonably possible to, to replace the panels even i don't know it's just it's such a good tool that doesn't like because it's called a doc people have an assumption of what it's supposed to be but it, it can be, and it is that, it does have that function, but it can do so much more that it has so much more potential to make it a much better experience. And a, a, the way I use my workflow is not 100% dependent on LatteDoc, but the panel wise is because like the way I do the, the, the GNOME workflow has a lot of interactions with the LatteDoc. And I think that without the LatteDoc, it would be much harder to do.
2: So Purism releases the final specs on their Librem 5 phone that's coming out. So this is a device that was successfully crowdfunded all the way back in 2017. The Librem 5 claims to be a device that focuses on security by design and protection by default. It runs FSF-endorsed PureOS and states trackers are disabled by default and they provide more fine-tuning for user controls for their privacy and security within their software. And they also have manual kill switches for camera, mic, Wi-Fi, and baseband out there. In addition to selling just the phone, they're also selling kits as well that come with monitors, keyboards, and, and mice so that you can basically utilize this as your full desktop. Similar to, I guess, uh, Samsung DeX where you can dock your you know Android device and utilize it as a desktop computer. So the final specs for this device is a five point seven inch IPS TFT screen at seven twenty by fourteen forty. So Michael, when we were talking about this, this is very similar to the PinePhone. Yeah, I think it's the same, exact same same resolution, uh, resolution and everything, as yeah. the PinePhone. Same resolution. Uh, it, it comes with the iMX8M quad core, which is a one point five gigahertz processor, three gigabytes of memory, thirty two gigabytes of eMMC internal storage, micro SD storage expansion uh, spot or slot. 8-megapixel uh, front camera, 13-megapixel back camera, USB Type-C. It does include a Courage Jack, which is awesome, and a 3,500 milliamp battery. So they're still stating this device will ship quarter three of 2019. But with this price point, I was pretty disappointed personally in the hardware. It's $649 for the phone. Mm, no, but that's get- what it
1: was in the early, the early bird special. Now it's, it's $699
2: okay so i mean that's a very expensive phone i get that they are um it's a very expensive phone for the specs that you're seeing here now i do get that they're putting a lot of additional engineering and security and privacy switches and things like that in it in the background but i've seen a lot of comments from individuals saying okay well i can go get lineage os or e on a much newer device with a lot more ram a lot faster processor and a lot higher resolution screen for less than that, than half than that. So it's an interesting thing because I encourage the fact that we're getting mobile devices. This is what I want. So I do not want to be negative on this device and say, you know, the specs are terrible or this is horrible because I don't think they're terrible, but it is a little less than what I would expect for the amount of money that they're asking here. So what were your thoughts? I I think
1: that it's interesting because I I totally agree that it is – it's disappointing in the terms of the hardware compared to the price. Now, I will say that there is an extra section of it where you could say that what is the the premium that you're paying for? What is that money going towards? Well, it's going towards the privacy effort. It's going towards the the fact that they're building their own operating system for mobile and that's based on Linux. The fact that they're you know they're they're working on something that is something we've been wanting for a very long time. So you have to kind of decide whether that premium is, uh, you know, worth it to you to support a company for that purpose or, and also because the the company is pretty small in comparison to like, you want to get a Samsung device for the same price. It's going to be way more powerful, but also they have a huge manufacturing plant and everything. So they can make it, they can make it more powerful and and cost less because of that. Um, But in terms of the average consumer, they're going to gonna look at this phone and see the comparison and the price, and it's not even a chance. So this is, in my opinion, this is an enthusiast, a Linux enthusiast phone, someone who wants to have Linux on their phone, and they want to have a full Linux system, and they're willing to pay that premium for that. But in terms of actual hardware, I think it's pretty disappointing, actually, because it based on the, I, like the other things in the same price range.
0: I hate to sound like a, a one-trick pony, but... Is this not yet another example of Purism failing to understand their core audience or core customer base? Like the kind of people that care about all of these privacy things, are they the kind of people that have the budgets to buy these kind of computers? And the people that have these budgets to buy, buy these kind of computers, do you think they're looking for a super private computer or do you think they're just looking for something that runs Linux full well enough so they can take it to the office? Like, you know, what I mean, is there really is that really that magical user base that has thousands and thousands of dollars to spend and and they want a one off, not one off, but a, a, a very uh, bespoke product?
2: Is that, it's a, you know it's what I mean? an interesting question because Purism is kind of known for this in their laptop. I remember looking at, well, maybe I'll get a Purism laptop because I've never tried one and I, I want to try anything that's hardware related. So I go and I look up the prices of it for the specs that they have. And I get that they're putting some additional work mm-hmm. into the hardware for kill switches and trying to, um, I think, even provide some... Ability to separate certain things, uh processor executions, you know. They even
1: have they even like did a separation for the IME for the internet. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, the IME.
2: So they're doing some additional things which you know do require obviously research and development, require work to implement. So I get it, but the price is so much higher for what you're getting that it's hard for me to swallow. I love privacy and security. I love the idea of having physical kill switches to Noah's point though, I'd probably have to test them with a voltage meter, make sure they're actually killing it. But I, you know, in any device, not just theirs, but any device that states that they have that. But I love the idea of these things at the same time. Am I willing to spend, you know, five, $600 more to acquire it? I don't know. Because to me, when I looked at the pine phone, you've got very similar specs here mm. for $199 that also has kill switches. Uh, built into it, uh, it's And a also is
1: based on a Linux operating system. Like they're exactly. not making that operating system. That maybe that's one of the overheads they don't have to worry about. But they are collaborating with. Like the the main goal was to have a Linux based operating system.
2: I mean, it is less powerful, but not by much. They pretty much have nearly identical processors. They're both based on the Cortex A53. Mm-hmm. They the PinePhone has a little bit less memory, uh, but I think one gigabyte less. Yeah. Um, they both have Type C support. They both can handle up to 4K video and uh, ultra HD resolutions on them if you were to dock them, say, uh, for a desktop. Um, so I I would – not that I'm not happy that we don't have an option that somebody's building out there, but I probably would personally lean towards the PinePhone just because it's $199 versus $699. actually but that's
0: Yeah, but that's that's that makes sense though, right? Like the kind of people that are interested in privacy, security-focused phones, they are willing to spend. I could see them spending two, three, even four, five hundred dollars on a smartphone. I just don't see them spending in the laptops case, right? I don't see them spending two thousand dollars on a smartphone when they get an iPhone for a thousand bucks.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, but actually, in the laptop case, they do have like if you compare the hardware in. Uh, like System 76 versus Purism. If you compare just mm-hmm. the hardware, the prices are fairly similar, but the hardware in the System 76 is more up to date and more powerful and all that stuff. So like that's that's kind of I, I don't think Purism has updated their laptops in a couple years or so. But the if you compare the PinePhone versus the the Librem 5, it's there the hardware is so close. Like two gigs of RAM versus three gigs of RAM. The the resolution is exactly the same. The their the screen itself is very close like the 5.7 versus 5.9 like the 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 bluetooth is the same the the ability to do various the different wi-fi spectrums is the same like it's it's interesting because the Librem 5 is something that people have been wanting for a very long time and are willing to pay a a premium for that
2: clearly yeah they got funded yeah
1: and but and it also in 2017 I think that this would actually be a reasonable phone. This is a reasonable quality phone, even for that price. But yeah. two years later, it still hasn't come out, and they pushed the deadline back multiple times. And they're still and they're shipping a 2017 dev- a powerful phone. Like if you go get the uh, the uh, OnePlus Five T, you can support that supports Lineage and E, and the price of that phone now is like three hundred fifty or something, and yeah. it's more powerful than the Librem Five. So, so- it's like this weird. Situation where I I am so happy that there's companies doing this and there's so there's a focus on doing this with the privacy and the Linux as the open as the operating system and everything, but the price is just in my opinion just just too high.
2: And if the price is too high, like you know, look what I just spent on processors and things for my desktop computer so that I can uh, play pixelated games on it. If the price is too high for me, I'm looking at it going, the price is really hard to swallow with those specs. I, I can't imagine a lot of people who even have the money to spend on that would want to throw it at this particular device. But I want to bring us back to something because I'm seeing a lot of, and this was my struggle with this article, Um, we have to be honest and give our critiques on things, but I see a lot of people kind of picking on everything Purism is doing. I see them picking on if they release numbers of how many people donated. uh, There are people who have nothing to do with Purism going out and pulling reports you know, saying, oh, there's a data blip here, what are you doing and and leaving comments and Twitter that are pretty negative and stuff. So I'm I'm interested what your take is for those of you, uh, Noah and Michael have been in Linux longer than me, why is there this negative viewpoint out there? And it seems like a lot of projects that should be at least trying to encourage, like we're saying, hey, maybe it's not for us, but I'm happy they're at least out there trying to do something kind of beating up on purism couple of things there purism
0: has had a history of coming out and saying something and then not delivering on it uh you know we're working with intel and we're gonna they're gonna custom make all of this stuff and you know there's just there's stuff that any of us that have lived in the tech community for any like for a nanosecond look up and go you dell can't even do that there's no way you're gonna like i mean you, you don't even understand the magnitude of, of what you're saying and how ridiculous what it is. And it's why they got called out at Linux Fest Northwest, right? They're up there, they're giving a presentation. They're like, here's the thing, here's the launch date. At a couple of people in the room were like, there will not be a product shipped by the date. It just, it won't, they won't have it. And, and, and the problem is then you have, you know, PR oversights, I guess, as it were, where you end up hiring somebody who has a history of... Saying very inflammatory things and and acting in a very inflammatory way, and what results is and I'm not saying that 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 the the people that they hire aren't effective at at drawing attention to their product and doing a good job talking about their product and maybe don't even have the best the product's best interest at heart. I'm sure all of those things are true. I'm just saying that they have made a series of controversial decisions, and I think a lot of people have responded very negatively to that
2: so they are basically so excited what you're saying noah that you know i i look at it a different way maybe i'm not looking uh, at the whole picture cuz i haven't seen i haven't been in the space long enough to see it all but i see it as that is a mistake what they're doing but that that it's not like they don't they're like these projects where they say hey we're going to do something and it never happens right. it just sounds like they're disorganized enough to say hey we're going yeah, go to yeah land on the moon i don't i think it's
0: a I I agree. I think it's very important that we acknowledge I am not in any way passing a judgment on on intentions, right? I have no idea. It could very well be that they were told by a representative of Intel, hey, this is what we're going to be willing to do for you guys. I have no idea what the intentions are. I'm not claiming to say whose fault it is or if there's malice or anything like that. I'm just saying that there is a definitive history of say one thing, something else happens, say one thing, something else happens, and some of us are very, uh, you know, get kind of frustrated by that, and 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 I don't say that like I don't have anything against Purism. I say hi to Todd if I run into him. We've had him on the show. Like I I I understand and appreciate what Purism is doing. I'm glad that there is some competition. I just I I, I just approach every I take everything that they do and say with a grain of salt, and I, I don't think that's unreasonable, and I don't think that's something I have to apologize for. I feel no. pretty comfortable in saying. Hey they have they have made some decisions that that take me back sometimes.
2: But you're not the only one and I think you the way you're saying it is extremely respectful and sticks to the fact that hey this is the history and you know things seem to be exaggerated a lot in that but I actually see this outside in the community pretty heavily of people just kind of piling on and I'm not seeing this just with purism by the way this is yeah. kind of happening in other instances as well where there seems to be this club that you have to be in within Linux. And if you're in that social circle in that club, then you can say whatever you want and kind of do what you want. But if you're outside of that social circle, then your product's junk and we really don't want to hear from you. And I, I just, I'm seeing it more and more. And as a new person, I was curious what your, your take is, is this normal? Maybe I'm just uh, being too sensitive to it, but it just seems like a lot of people have no business really going in and, uh, necessarily piling on and picking on certain projects that that's happening a lot especially in the Twitter verse uh, area
1: yeah I, I mean I would agree I I think that there's purism has this, this situation where they're having to deal with a reputation they kind of got off on the wrong foot and they right. can and they're, and they're not really fixing that to going forward which uh in the video version you might have seen me randomly smile it was because when noah said something about how they said they'd say things and then not never follow through in, in a lot of cases it made me laugh about the fact that i in the beginning of this episode i talked about how i finally did a video i've been talking about what i was gonna do uh
2: so <laughs> well, michael is the equivalent so, of here's the difference here's the difference
0: here's the difference it's not a function of delays it's a function of dishonesty right intentional or unintentional right when i say michael you you were you were planning on getting that that video out within two months and it didn't happen what happened you're like oh yeah i'm i, I just i didn't have time i got lazy or whatever and then people go Oh, okay, well, it's just Michael, right? And everybody accepts you. Nobody really <laughs> judges like I'm serious though. <laughs> Nobody really judges you because you're just honest about it. You're like, hey, I
2: just I didn't get around to it. Well, he's mean, also I'm... not doing a GoFundMe me for the video for eight well, and raising ten thousand dollars and then, right? not- and, is, and then yeah.
0: the other yeah. side of that, and then the other side of that right is to get the video once it's released. I mean, let's come out. It's a YouTube video, click on it, right? We're not talking about a twenty five hundred dollar box. Uh so yeah, I, I think it's a very complex issue. I will say this to throw purism a bone. It is incredibly difficult to do anything in the open source community. So we launched Linux Del- Delta and a huge thanks to everybody that has been contributing to the site and has been offering suggestions and stuff like that. But it it honestly, working in a business for so long in which I take a service, I provide a service, people pay for a service, they thank you for a service and we move on. Like that's the metric that I've been using for so long. And it's so interesting when you give something to somebody for free, how f- quickly they just all of a sudden, grab onto it and go, "Oh, that's mine!" And, and "This is what it should be," and "This is what you should do," and "This is what you've done wrong," and and all of that, you know. Like, there's helpful criticism, and then there are people that are just out to tear you down. And as a Linux community, we're really bad about that. When a new company comes out, uh, Steam offered support on Ubuntu. Isn't that great? We're going to have Steam on Linux. Isn't that? Fa- it's not on Arch. Not on Fedora.
1: It's proprietary. We can't use it. Or something yeah. like that yeah. doesn't it, it's not on deepen
0: you know what i mean like we don't like come on we never so when this company comes out and they say hey we're going to make a privacy focused laptop instead of just saying hey that's really great when one comes to market i'd be happy to buy it because that's a product i'm interested in and even if the company isn't perfect they're a tiny little company that is competing against massive industry. They're probably going to have some setbacks. Let's support them and embrace them. Instead, we tear them apart. And every little thing down to a a video that comes out and gets released on the internet, we have to critique and and criticize them. So to throw them a bone, they are doing work and continue to do work and continue to succeed, I might add, in a environment that is very hostile to them, even if it is based on, on things they've said or done.
1: Yeah, and there's yeah. there's some aspects to it of that's that's justified in the sense that when they, like, if they said you know if you notice that they 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 mentioned quarter three in this particular release, or this this announcement of saying quarter three is when they're going to release the, the phone, we are currently in about forty five percent through quarter three, but they gave a, a range of like this is going to happen, and then previously they they backtracked a couple times already saying that this is you know they said January then they said April and etc, and, and et They just delayed it when they could have just said, hey, this is what the time frame we think it will be. And people would be like, "Okay." But when they gave a specific time frame, it kind of like gave it kind of tainted what people thought. And I think that's the problem. And like they've done that on a multiple multiple
2: times. But I think at the end of the day, they will deliver a product. And there are several products out there. There are several companies, probably hundreds who have gone out, raised a bunch of money, said, we're going to do this thing, and never gave anything back to people. So Purism, at least, has delivered, and I think will deliver a phone. But I was taking this even further outside of Purism to say, look at what happened just uh, today, the day of recording of people piling on Pharaonics for something that heavily is out of their control. There's just so many examples I'm seeing, and... I, I just think yeah, there's but, this uh, you know toxicity you just, that's starting to to build towards. Pure, I mean, Ferronics, sure, you could go out there and pick little things that they need to change or update. but just oh, imagine okay. not. Or,
0: having- or you could pick specific examples. So, again, where they came out and falsely reported information, and people got frustrated by that. But like, I
2: mean, we've done, we've made mistakes too. Sure, Ferronics goes and we, out and does it on purpose.
0: No, I don't think so either. Like I said, I don't pass a judgment on, on, um, on intention. I, I just, I, I think that. I think the difference between us and Pharonix is that I, I think that a lot of people that come to this program understand that we approach this with a certain level of humility, whereas I've seen problems come out on a Friday and they'll release a correction not until Monday or Tuesday after they've incurred like this Reddit storm and Twitter storm of, hey, you're falsely reporting this stuff. So, I mean, like, I, I, again, I I totally get where you're coming from and I I agree in principle that we need to be a less hostile community and a less toxic community. And at the same time, like I have personally gotten bit by you go on the air on a Sunday to talk about a story that you read about on Friday. And then it comes out on Tuesday that everything is wrong. And I just like, that is such a frustrating experience. And it, and it's like, come on, we really can't do any better. And I mean, this is not like, you know, again, like this time it's out of their control, but sometimes it's not, yeah.
1: I guess. Yeah. And I'd say that's true for a lot of things like there. I mean, it is, But yeah. I, I agree that the, 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 the overall concept of like purism has made mistakes, yes and various different places have made mistakes but the and like uh, Canonical's made mistakes and they've made mistakes that are big mistakes and they've made tiny mistakes but in many cases and in many examples of various projects they will get hate for like in the same level of hate regardless of how big the mistake is, like for example sure. Canonical sure. did that 32-bit thing and that was a big mistake but also, they got ye- They were ye- being yelled at for you know making unity not a big mistake. In fact, that they didn't have a choice. They got yelled at for n- not making unity anymore. Like, make up your mind. You're gonna yell and scream at them for something that
2: I, I wouldn't want to be held to the standards to that that we seem to hold to. But I, I'll tell you, the most shocking part to me is in in Twitter allows you to see who likes certain things. And I've seen some very exaggerated comments on my Twitter about Pharaonics. Like like I said, you could make cases like you said, no, Hey, you know, there are times where they may misreport something. Maybe the benchmarks that they do aren't really as um, in- intuitive as we'd like to believe. You could make all those critiques and they're fair. But when somebody makes a wild claim, like they, I mean, wild claim, and then you see members of development community out there liking those comments that's where I'm starting to really sit here and man, I used to put some of these people on a pedestal and I'm so disappointed to see that they're out there publicly supporting these comments to kind of take these projects down. And that's, what's bothering me.
1: I mean, that's, that's also true. I mean, that, that there's, there's, I don't, I don't think it, I, okay. There's this thing that I don't like about um, the, the, there's a a, there's a weird reputation that the Linux community has a hostile environment and like a hostile community and i don't think that's true i think there is definitely some hostility involved and there's some toxicity involved uh, because i think that's true for every community because there's always going to be someone who's trying to uh, annoy someone just because they think it's fun or whatever other reason. Uh, but I think that the majority of the community is very open and very, and especially the DL community is awesome. And like every time we've had you know conversations in the telegram oh, group, yeah. like it's, it's, it's a great
2: experience, but and we're not just saying that. I mean that like we have, yeah. but we have purposely focused on having that type of community. We wanted to draw in from the very beginning, people who were kind and said, thank you and appreciated work. And we're not perfect. I've gone out there and gone on tangents of things that made me mad and probably went too far. But at the end of sure, the day, I think too. we really try, and our community tries. I, but I well, we own up don't to mistakes, though. Too. I mean, I I feel like outward. I feel like, I feel
0: like the one thing that we're missing here is 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 ownership of mistakes and ownership of incorrect information. Right? Like that is nobody I, when Do you notice that? Like nobody talks about the fact that the second canonical reversed their decision. The internet hate immediately died, like just went to sleep dead, knocked out in the cold. Nobody is talking about that anymore. And the thing is, we don't acknowledge that. Like, we don't give ourselves any credit. Like, yes, Linux users got really upset. I think there, I I know that we tend to disagree on this. We don't need to rehash it. But I think there were, it was, um, it wasn't as clear cut as a decision as I think you two think it was for Canonical. And yeah, And so a lot of people made their voice known, and the second they reversed course, the internet mob went away. And so I think to a certain degree, we have to acknowledge, like, people are pretty predictable. Like, they, we know what Linux users want. We know what Linux users don't want. When you do something they don't like, you're going to catch a lot of crap. When you do something they do like, you're not going to. And when you correct a mistake, they'll, they'll forgive you and move on. I feel like that's been shown more times than we're giving it credit.
1: I think it's different though. I think the 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 example of the canonical thing is that this problem was it it blew up and got huge and had a lot of reactions that were reasonably uh, critical and also extremely hostile. There's that happened. And then they removed they they reverted it and it died down. But that was a significantly impactful decision that they wanted to make versus sometimes where they would change the the, like you know a color of a of a theme and then be yelled at the fact that they had oh my goodness they had the close button on the left side of the window hate them forever like yeah. that kind of Where reaction happens in so many ways
2: that it's outbursts of calling them literally the devil in their videos and things like that and that my problem with that is the same people who are out there critiquing. How ridiculous that video is, are the same ones liking comments who are attacking other projects like Pharaonics or Purism and liking those same exaggerated comments. I'm not talking about comments where, hey, Purism doesn't, you know, hasn't delivered on some things or Pharaonics has made mistakes. I'm talking clearly things that Pharaonics has no control over and these same people who are impacted by this rage liking this. And this is bugging me because, you know, these are people that I think at a point where very highly respected in the community and you wouldn't expect that type of thing from. And it just seems to be growing. And I, I see in our patron comments, a lot of people talking about tribalism in Linux. And I guess if I was to take my entire argument into one facet, it probably is, kind of a tribalism of, hey, if you're in this group and you support these guys, then don't go over here and support the OpenSUSE guys or be a part of the Red Hat guys because we're canonical. Like there just seems to be this tribalism that still exists. And this is coming from somebody who's only been in Linux for four years. I hadn't really seen it this in depth and maybe it's always been there and I've just had rose colored glasses on to the point that it seems to be happening right now. And I'm not sure what's changing because at the first time, Linux desktop is so much better. We have products out there that people were trying to make to fill in these gaps like phones and things. And now we're getting more tribalism than before. Like, what? what's happening? That, that's I'm, fi- really I'm fine. You know what? I'm fine with
0: tribalism. I put a lot of thought into that. I'm done making excuses. I'm done pretending to be somebody I'm not. I drank the Kool-Aid. I'm in the call. <laughs> I've I'm, I'm signed up. I'm in. I don't care what you say about me. I'm in. A hundred percent. Like, you know, there's some people that g- they get all upset and they're, you know, oh, it's not a religion. It's a tool. It's just an opera, you know. Uh, come on. You know what? My picture, of my kids are on here. The videos of my family are on here. I just I just got done redoing my free NAS share. Right. And it was like this. It was this really emotional experience, to be honest with you, like going back and moving all of my data from years and years and years and consolidating all it on, onto one box, it really lets me know how important our digital lives are because they're literally the oh, yeah. record of our life. Mm-hmm. And so to start treating that as with some flippant, callous attitude of "Well, I just use the best tool for the job." Windows is what they had to Best Buy, so that's what I came home with. Uh, I like my Apple stuff. You know, it's just stupid. So I drank the Kool Aid. I'm a hundred percent in. And uh, and and yeah, I'm tribalist. I there are there are things that work better in Linux and things that work not as good in Linux and. There, for once in uh, once in our geek lives, we're finally part of the club.
2: You know, I actually don't agree that you are. I think you're actually the opposite of tribalism because anytime anybody has brought something up that had a good (laughs) counterpoint, you've always been willing to change your position on things. What I'm seeing is individuals who make a decision like. Whatever it is. Fedora is the greatest desktop our greatest distribution ever. I agree. And they keep that no matter what happens. Oh, I see what you're saying. That's the type of people. Yeah. Like okay. all of us have our, our things that we love or that we stick to. But man, if you bring me a good point, I- I'll go and look at it. I'll go I and hear you. And, and you've always been willing to do that. What I'm seeing well, is you. people just holding uh things irrational irrationally and it, it's i'm used to that from the community you'll see that from the community different things but people who hold weight weighted positions in the community kind of backing this type of thing is what is i think at the yeah. heart of, of of the problem there is some
1: there is some tribalism that's i mean the, the, the example you're tra- you're referring to is something that I think that is is very va- very important about the whole irrational tribalism is something that happens. It's it seems to be happening more now in the in like a more public approach. Like you could mm-hmm. say that the tribalism stuff has been around forever. Like the, the 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 joke about Arch Linux, you know, by the way, I use Arch type thing. That is a a joke that's been around for a long time. And it was mostly used as like a playful thing, but there are some people who like legit have this thing, or like if you don't use Arch, you're not a user of Linux, you're not a real Linux user, or something like that. Well, wait, that's right. not true. <laughs> uh, no, 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 that's particular, this particular case. Like no, it. it's not.
2: No. Oh, oh, it's not. That's oh, Ryan meant, told me. Yeah, no, no, it's
0: not. No, it's not. <laughs> that's what Ryan told me. Uh, but yeah. that tribalist, right? <laughs> Darn
1: but it. There, there's different. There's different aspects of like these people who are very. Uh, they're very toxic if you don't agree with them, and that situation is like they that. I think that like ninety nine percent of the people who use Linux are not like that, but the people who are like that are so loud. You know what? That you, you nailed it often. right
2: there. People get mad when you don't agree with them. How dare you have a different opinion? That actually is what sums yes. up my argument. That
1: yeah. is that is the most obvious. That's the most the one I've experienced the most being on being in and being involved in Linux for like 20 years, that's the most I've experienced is like, if I slightly disagree with them, they just hate me forever. And if I agree with them, they're like, Oh, well, you're not so bad. Like, uh, like just two days ago, you hated me. Like it's, it's anyway, it's weird, that kind of thing. But I do want to point out that we all agree that, Arch is the best. Uh, that arch is good, but um, my my, oh. my point about the that we we agree on. I think we all agree that Star Trek is one of the best series ever. So I am totally down with being uh, a completely irrational tribalism. Wow, why did you just do? that? Because there's no
0: how to pronounce
2: on tribalism.
1: That's <laughs> no, not tribalism. Tribalism. That's the most, very specific tribalism. Uh, hey, I like how you brought hey, back the passionate
2: conversation you? to Star Trek.
0: Never ever up. say tribalism again, okay? Thanks.
1: Yeah. I will never say tribalism again. Thank you. After I just said tribalism right then and there. Tribalism is great. So Chris Wright, the CTO for Red Hat, recently took to Red Hat
0: to, air, to, to Reddit rather, to answer some questions from the community. Now, first of all, I just want to say that I think this is really awesome, that high level yes. CTO level people from a $34 billion company goes on Reddit, goes straight into the community. The line's Den, to ask questions. So he did an AMA and Chris was asked about Red Hat supporting gaming more in the future. Chris responded that Red Hat continues to support game development, backends, rendering, as well as making partnerships that push. Gaming forward. He also mentioned that Red Hat sponsors events for game development, uh, listing DreamHack in Atlanta as a gaming event for Open Source Summit. Another question: He reassured everybody that Fedora will also remain unaffected by the IBM purchase. Now, that's something that I was particularly questioning uh, after their decision to remove the plugin for Snapd inside of the Software Center. It seemed like a strange. Uh, decision for Fedora to move, and interestingly enough, the the person that was in charge of Snapd on Fedora wasn't consulted. And so I kind of wondered if there was a if there was a connection there to IBM. Looks like it was just a coincidence. There was a former IBM employee that was asking whether there would be discouragement from helping other projects not related to open sources. Apparently, they le- felt that would that was an issue in the past. And Chris responded that employees are free to contribute to any other project in their free time, as they has always been the case for Red Hat. They asked about ZFS coming into Red Hat, to which Chris responded that there were a number of licensing concerns, but at the end of the day, at least it was better than Butter Up. No, he didn't say that. I'm just kidding. (laughs) concerns and, uh, and, and needed to be fixed in upstream Linux first. Finally, one of the questions that were discussed was bringing ClearOS optimizations to RHEL, and Chris responded that they closely work with Intel already on optimizations, and they'll continue to do so. There was uh, a great deal of questions that we obviously don't have time to cover on the show, but we'll have a link for you in the show notes over to the AMA, so you can go check it out and read it. A huge thanks to Chris. Again, shameless self-plug, uh, we've had Chris write on the Ask Noah Show. He's a great guy to chat with, very technically intellectual, a great leader. And it's awesome to see him digging down into the community and and participating in a way that people are really going to appreciate. And people really feel like they're connected to this $34 billion company and they actually value input uh, directly from people that may not make them a dime. And that is an awesome thing that I think Red Hat continues to do really, really well. And Chris Wright continues to do really, really well. And we're certainly appreciative to see that.
2: Yeah, this to me was such an important thing to do. I mean, Red Hat is, I think, one of the top 10 most popular sites in the world. Um, so it, it's a very popular place, especially among young uh, crowds uh, for people to hang out and talk about various issues. I, um, the Ask Me Anything segments are extremely popular. Usually you have different celebrities and big names out there dropping a movie. Um, but seeing Red Hat out there to me just made me smile. And seeing his responses, which weren't just corporate doublespeak in there, right? It wasn't just a bunch of buzzword bingo stuff. He was really um, answering the questions, in, in my opinion, with a lot of depth uh, in, inside each one when, the, when individuals were asking, such as, you know, the gaming thing. I thought, well, this is kind of an easy one you could just avoid. But he provided information. I didn't know that Red Hat went out there and sponsored game summits and different things out there to mm-hmm. push it because obviously gaming has an impact. On, like we were talking about before with the VR stuff, outside of just gaming. It impacts all kinds of different industries, some of the innovations and things that come from it. Now, they're not directly going to probably create uh, a Red Hat gaming distro, but that doesn't mean they're not going to support it. because The they important thing is he
0: be- didn't say they're
2: not going to create a Red <laughs> Hat gaming distro. Yeah, I think we know did, careful
0: about his words, yeah.
2: Um, okay. So I thought this was awesome. And honestly, in, in, in my opinion, I think the company that does... Community outreach, the best it has always been Canonical, and I'm really happy to see somebody else coming out there and doing more of this outreach. <laughs> you can see the, just the disappointment in those. No I, I mean, I'm just being honest. When you look at the Snap <laughs> side of it, the hosting YouTube yeah, live if events, you, if you look at together, I, I know I think Red Hat does more sponsorships of events, but not everybody in the community goes to events. Whereas Canonical's more out there on the web reaching people in the past. At least that was my view, well, but I think Red Hat's picking that up.
1: And yes, they, I agree. I think that Red Hat is one of those, those companies that is... Like they do outreach, but they don't. They're not. They're not really proactive in the sense. Like if you look at the way Canonical does it, I agree that Canonical does it more in the sense that they have people who are actively involved in other communities that are actively involved in the the Linux community. They're they show up on YouTube channels. That you know, will
2: show up in our Telegram all the time. Right. I can't. I can't tell you the last time a Red Hat employee showed up in our or a, of, of a major position showed up in our Telegram randomly. And you well, know, any we position
1: because a lot of times they don't even tell you that they work there. Like there's a time I've actually had a conversation where uh, I was talking to a guy who worked at Red Hat and I didn't know he worked at Red Hat until about an hour into the conversation. He's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I work at Red Hat. I was like, that's a you should probably mention that a little sooner. And it's just that the the, like the SnapD development summits they have like bringing in for various different. In, like the Godot engine didn't have a snap thing. They had no interest in doing that until Canonical was like, Hey, would you like to come to, you know, our event and our summit? We'll pay you for your trip together and your work and then like there's a lot more outreach in that sense from the canonical side. And they focus on a lot more of like they, they do like Ubicon and all the UbuCon or whatever. And they do that all the time. And they have they're they involved in most of the 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 uh you know different Uh, uh, European conferences and stuff. And they have some representatives going to all different types of conferences and all that. They have a lot more outreach. I think that red hat has been doing it a lot better recently, but I think they were more of like, they, they were seeming more like the corporate approach of like, Hey, we're going to put our name on this and say, Hey, we are supporting this thing. And therefore that's our thing. And that, but that's, that's where they stop. And I think that because canonical has the direct involvement and direct engagement in a variety of different ways, I would agree that they also do it more. But Red Hat has seemingly done it a lot more recently, and this is a great example of a a higher level, because I don't think... um, Actually, Mark Mark Shuttleworth probably has... I think he might have done one. I don't know. But there's there's a there's a lot of potential for them to start doing it this way and i like the fact that they went into like the and or like a community that isn't really focused on the enterprise server level they're like hey we just want to talk about linux and like have conversations with people from companies like that i think it's awesome
2: i think we're calling out chris to show up into our telegram group and uh if he does we'll shout out red hat seven times on our next podcast I i like that I like
1: that. Yeah.
0: We'll also denounce ButterFS as the official uh, file system for Destination Linux, and we'll
2: let it off. <laughs> <laughs> no, CSS. we will not do that. ButterFS, sure happen. Your tribalism showing, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Counter Strike is one of those games that's been around for a very long time and is super popular, and it's it's like one of it's Valve's probably their flagship game, and yeah. it has it's not got a lot of love in a long in a little while. Uh, but they've recently got some with the uh, with like really like back in 2012 the the game of like uh, it was CS:GO was, was released and they did add the uh, you know the the. What
2: was it called? What's battle the arena field, yes. but I can't remember what its name, but it's like the, it's like the Fortnite. Yeah. It's style. like
1: about ba- it's battle Royale, but I forgot what they called yeah. it. Uh, so they did, they did that, but they've actually added, like, there's a lot of tons of people were like, that's great. You added these things, but we want some more, you know, DLC stuff, new maps and that kind of thing, because we want to just expand the game itself rather than adding additional modes and what we already have. And valve has listened and they have added new maps to make the way into the game. There's also a new game mode coming called scrimmage. And scrimmage mode allows players to set, like, test their skill, like a five v five competitive mode, but without the official ranking being impacted, which is awesome. Because when I when I try to play with, like, in the competitive aspect of uh, when I played Counter Strike, I am terrible at that game. So when I try to play with people who are friends of mine, they are way better than me, and they put me in a position where they don't want to play with me because it ruins their rank and it's like this weird... Well, like. Well,
2: they must have that same mode in Rocket League because you're ranked really high in Rocket League, but you would still come down to uh, the pleb level with me and play <laughs> as long as it was unranked, right? And no,
1: would... I, I, I'd play with... And there's some ranks I'd play with as well. Like, yeah. uh, th- there's a, a hoops mode. I'll play ranked in that. Because
2: <laughs> if you played me... You played with me in a ranked mode in Rocket League, you'd go from, like, platinum to lead well, like, immediately. But yeah. Well... Champion, but yeah. <laughs> so CS:GO, one of the best games out there. It shocks me to this day when I do benchmarks. When I got the new system and the prior system, when I got the twenty seven hundred X game, people want to see CS:GO. Where's the CS:GO frame rates? How CS:GO play? I'm like, it's amazing. This game, mm-hmm. after so many years, is such a flagship to people for first person shooters, and I think a lot of that is because Valve has heavy amount of competitive uh game events going on. So this is one of those games that if you become good at you can make like a good living winning tournaments and teams and things with CS:GO. A lot of tournaments out there, a lot of skill required. Probably one of the best known first person shooters where precision and skill truly matters. You're not going to walk into CS:GO and guns blazing and kill anything. You'll die in like the second you boot in if you just run in there. Like you need a lot of strategy, yep. a lot of skill in there to really be successful quite an amazing game that they have where i think if they came out with a new counter strike that didn't basically just be a graphical update people would riot and just keep playing csgo because it's so it's so well balanced and good as it is now yeah it's a so. fantastic
1: game and i really like the fact that they made it easier to play competitive with like a competitive style without having to worry about the competitive ranking about it cuz like yep. it makes it possible to play with more people and not have to worry about like cuz like if you wanted to play the Casual, like you couldn't do the team versus team thing, you had just be thrown into some random server and stuff, which is fun too, you know, for the first 20 seconds before you just get destroyed over and over and over. Yeah. uh, well, for me anyway, but I so for
2: I, those who want to play the mode, uh, Dark One in yes, our Patreon that exactly. uh, it said it was Danger Zone is what it's called, which is a really cool battle royale mode if yeah. you want to have fun encounters.
1: A lot, it's a, it's it's and also don't it's it's battle royale, but it's also like a very specific way they do it, so it's like. It's very, it's not just like a copy of like PUBG or whatever. It is very cool in how they do like the, the way that like things, like not all the guns are available at a certain time. And ammunition, you also have to find a different different like uh, levels of like uh, the part of the game. And also, you know, because I assume that, uh, you know, since Noah was bothered by the tribalism thing, I would also assume that he'd be bothered by the danger zone. Because I, wow. I just
2: had to. Right on the tails of a new Top Gun coming out so valve is in the news again for another major contribution here so we've covered them heavily over the last few weeks and that's not on purpose they just keep doing awesome things so what are we supposed to do so this week valve is back in the news for proposing new changes to their kernel that will help make gaming even better so now they're getting directly into the kernel and i did create a little bit of history here because Um, You know, I know not everybody's interested in gaming, but I put together a little timeline of what Valve has done with Linux. Um, Just some of the major ones, not the small stuff. We had Gabe Newell, the owner of Valve, saying Linux is the future of gaming. This was before they officially backed, as I understand, uh, the Linux desktop for Steam. So, and apparently during the Windows 8 fiasco, Gabe, again, at this point, we had Steam on Linux, but doubled down on the statement that Linux is the future for gaming. They released the Steam machines that were Linux gaming consoles, which <laughs> did, <laughs> <laughs> you got me, Noah, consoles, which did not take off, but never, uh, but no, they didn't take off initially, but they were something that um, people were very excited about to get into their living rooms, at least enthusiasts, but it was probably the wrong time in the market for the vast majority because you also had major consoles out there coming out like PS4 and the new Xbox, uh, I think, around that time, if I'm not mistaken. So it kind of got overshadowed. Uh, they released their very own Steam OS based on Linux. They work with Wine to bring us Steam Play, which has allowed us to run thousands of games now natively with windows they're backing vr for linux desktops and now they are working directly in the kernel to help out there as well for improvement so that is why when we talk about gaming stuff impacting other areas this is an example of how that's so because even if you're not a gamer and don't plan on touching gaming the patches that they're wanting to put into the kernel will help you with any other graphical implementation as well for improvement of your machine. Um, Basically, what they're doing is they've put the F-Sync patch set into production, which would allow them to execute on this module once it gets loaded into the kernel side so they can take advantage of it. But uh, basically, what they're doing in here is finding ways that they can uh, help multi-threaded applications push the CPU to its full potential so that it's not governed as heavily. Uh, as it is base, uh, in base in the kernel today. So to me, again, another fantastic thing that Valve is giving in back to the Linux community. And I wanted to take the time to talk about and really take a tally of all the things that Valve has done for Linux since they've been in the news a lot because this is all helping Linux push forward as a desktop.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things that it's like, w- what else could they do to prove that they care about the platform. Hey, let's work directly with the kernel that the platform is built on. Like, that would do it. I think that would do it.
2: Exactly. (laughs) So So it's funny. I was in a standoff in my trip to Florida. I'm in the elevator, and I have my Linux Washes Windows uh, shirt on that I have. Nice. And in the elevator, I look over because I feel somebody staring at me. And the person I look over, and I see their shirt immediately, and it has the Microsoft logo on it and he's just staring me down and i said hey you work for microsoft and he goes yeah and we like, like linux he goes i like your shirt and i said yeah cuz microsoft <laughs> loves linux right? right and he goes yeah for our stock prices we really love it and i thought that was hilarious cuz all oh, of course there's azure platform and everything they're making <sighs> tons of money on it so in any case uh, you know i don't know if microsoft loves linux but i can certainly say out does i
1: it. i think i think that guy is just saying what what microsoft really believes but it doesn't have the the, the intestinal fortitude to say yeah uh, but that's pretty much what it is uh but yeah valve actually does care and they've proven it on so many different examples if they did literally nothing else except bring steam to linux i would be happy like that itself is awesome and then they do and then if they you have proton and stop there that's it's awesome they're they're doing so much but they don't stop there. They continuously build things to benefit the ecosystem and you know, it's hard to not like Valve. Even if Valve does something that you might not like at some point, they've done so many things now that they've they've built a like a mountain of gratitude that even if they make a mistake, I'm still like whatever.
2: Yeah, and I forgot even in here recently the AMD and Intel GPU shader improvements that they put in. So, I mean, there's so much more that's not even covered here, but just to show you why it's important. Exactly.
0: Our software spotlight this week couldn't have come at a better time, and it is Project Pinta. It's a simple and free open source drawing image editing program. Now, we talk a lot about image editing tools, but sometimes you don't want to become an artist. You just want a simple interface with a few bells and whistles to get some quick edits done. And that's exactly what Project Pinta is. Now, it's interesting. Like I said, the timing of this is interesting because... It was my daughter's birthday on Wednesday. She's five years old. And I reached out to one of the open source graphic designers in the community, Mr. Albert Westra. And I said, I said, hey, I've got my daughter. She's really interested in drawing. The problem is she goes into our sunroom and she fills the entire walls up with with drawings. What can we do about that? And his answer was, yeah, you should get her a Wacom tablet and have her draw. And so – uh. And so what was interesting was I had installed my paint for her to use, but I also have Project Pinta. And so I've actually been, I, I shouldn't say I have any real uh, experience, but she has some experience playing with it. And, uh, and so it's a, it's a pretty cool piece of software and definitely something to check out if you're interested in getting uh, in touch with your artistic side.
2: Yep, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I think Pinta is quite is quite good. It's, it's it's great for like just getting the basic things done, and it also is great for like getting a beginning, like doing image editing or like the basics of image editing and doing like getting used to doing drawing on on digital form. Like it's it's great for that, and I think it's it's one of the it's, it's a really good tip, uh, and I think that it has a lot of potential that people should check it out if you're interested in that kind of thing because you know uh, GIMP can do a lot of things. But you might not need that much power, that much features if you just want to do like some basic editing and stuff. And Pinta does it very well. I don't know if it's Pinta or Pinta, whatever. Uh, but also there's some uh, we we have all used like tails to do things and to watch like logs. And the tips and trick this week is multi-tail, which allows you to monitor log files and command output using multiple windows in a terminal, colorize, filter, merge, and all in one tool. So it can even uh, it can even monitor uh, wildcards. If another file is matching the wildcard, it has the most recent modification date. It will automatically switch to that file. And this is uh, this is useful for real-time monitoring logs and changes, such as checking on authorization logs and syslogs and all kinds of sorts of things. So if you ever if you need to m- monitor your logs, Multitail is definitely something worth checking out.
2: So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening, however you do it, to Destination Linux. We love our patrons and coffee supporters. We've picked on no enough. Just want to give a special shout out for your support. We do a live show for our patrons. So come join us if you want to be a part of the show. You can join for just $1 and that's darn near free.
0: That's right. We're now on Coffee as a way to support the show. Coffee offers a nice monthly option that will allow you to have the same perks as Patreon. There'll be a link in the show notes to our website to join Coffee. The perks include things like access to live shows as well as unedited version of the videos, as well as our most sincere
2: gratitude. Please get back with us and let us know what you think or ask any burning questions via numerous methods that Michael has set up out there. We have comments at destinationlinux.org, a Telegram group, which is absolutely fantastic and growing. We're about to cross over the 800 mm-hmm, individual pretty close. But we really need to get over that thousand mark. So definitely go join the Telegram group and see how many awesome people are in the community uh, that can help you with issues or just discuss topics of interest. We have Discord, Twitter, Mastodon, pretty much everything you could think under the sun. If you want more information on that, go to DestinationLinux.org slash contact. And please keep your comments and questions coming. We absolutely love to hear them and hear of ways... Uh, that we can improve the show or of your ideas uh, in general comments. And we read all of them, even if we can't reply to every single one. We literally do read every single one of them. And sometimes we even get to include them in the show.
1: Yep. And also, uh, the show doesn't stop here. There's a lot more fun you can get on our own channels where you can go to uh, Ryan's channel at youtube.com slash dosgeek where he will fill your brains on hardware, software, and all things Linux. You can check out Zeb. He wasn't here this week, but he's still making content at, you know, at the youtube.com slash ZebityBoss. Uh, Zeb can be found driving at crazy speeds, moving aside caravans to get in his way on his live streams. You can check out my content at touchdigital.com where I do in-depth weekly Linux news podcast called This Week in Linux and other Linux-related content. You can check out Noah at AskNoahShow com, where he has a, a weekly talk radio show uh, on Tuesdays at six PM Central. You can join him and ask him questions about Linux, tech, business. What his favorite type of uh, cup of uh, coffee is?
2: Yeah, well, Noah's not a huge draw, but get Dude, this: if you but How long does he show? I show up to his IRC chat, and you could hang out with me during Noah's. That's show. true too.
1: Daske will be there talking about coffee. How
0: many nights did it take you to come up with coffee?
1: Oh, I, I didn't. I didn't. I was actually one of the patrons. Gave it to me in a Telegram message. Like, hey, you should mess with Noah with this one. Like, yep, sure will. can we
2: kick that guy out? (laughs) (laughs) Band hammer's coming.
1: (laughs) Anyway, you can also like that smash button and share the show on social media.
0: Everybody, have a great week. And remember, the journey itself is just as important as the
2: destination. We'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone. We love ButterFS.